0: Well, hello everyone and thank you for joining us on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, My name is James, I'm the pastor of Wellsman Worship Centre which is the church that we currently find ourselves in and today I'm going to be having a conversation with my new friend James Powell. Thank you so much for being here James. Thanks for having me. We've been, uh, as a church, wondering about what it means to love our neighbour more and one of the things we've recognised that in Toronto a lot of our neighbors identify as queer. They're within the LGBTQ2 plus community. And we know that Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And we also know that in the past, the church hasn't done as good a job as that, as we would like, and certainly as good a job as we think Jesus would like. Uh, and there's gonna be a variety of people watching this, and there'll be people who uh, just can't understand why the church doesn't wanna be more welcoming. And there'll be other people watching who, struggle because they've been raised in different ways and been taught that Scripture means certain things and we pray that during this time this be a time of learning and growth and encouragement Uh, we pray this to be a time when we be curious and excited to learn more about other people and I think it's really important that anyone watching uh, who sees me as as a pastor uh, it's important that I come out and say I have said come out like that. That would be quite a twist for this, wouldn't it? It's important that I come and say, uh, I've got this wrong in the past, too. Uh, there are times that I've said careless things, uh, thought thoughtless things, and I, I know that I want to be better. But if, if you're watching and you're someone who has been hurt, then all I can do is apologize and, and promise that uh, I'm trying to be better, and we as a community are trying to be better. And part of trying to be better is listening to stories and listening to people and giving a space for voices that maybe we haven't had a chance to hear otherwise. And that's one of the reasons that I've asked James to speak to us today. Uh, James has an amazing podcast where he's very honest and very vulnerable about the state of things. One of the best things is James has so much to say, it means I don't need to say too much. And so (laughs) after this initial blurb, I promise you, it's gonna be a lot more uh, excitement and curiosity and learning from James. So uh, James, I'm gonna pass things over to you for a second to see if you wanna introduce yourself. And uh, I'll say thank you for joining us and uh, all this stuff will be uploaded. So if you miss something or if you wanna go back to it, that's okay, there's space to do that.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me
0: here today. Um,
1: it was a little strange getting ready to come into church because I grew up in a church just like this um, and haven't really been back in a church to talk with a church uh, for years. And so I was a little bit nervous and anxious kind of coming in today. What am I going to say? How do I prepare? Do I have My verse is down and a lot of that kind of memory was coming back to me. But yeah, I grew up in a church like this and like a lot of kids, I had dreams. I dreamed about, well, I dreamed about owning an island and a helicopter. Um, Humble dreams, yep. Uh, I dreamed about falling in love and getting married. I dreamed about being a pastor and also the president of the United States, (laughs) even though I'm not American. But um, wanted to be a pastor, wanted to have a kid, many kids. And like a lot of people, um, I really enjoyed my experience growing up in the church and the community that we had. Except all of my dreams, I always knew were just dreams and that none of them were going to come true for me, especially the president of the United States (laughs) part. Um, But I knew for me, because of who I was, and I remember probably far back as five or six feeling different. I didn't really have a a name or a word for that, but I knew that there was something wrong with me, and the growing up in the church in the 80s and 90s and kind of all that was going on in society and uh, especially in Canada with our rights and freedoms and all that kind of stuff that was going on. It was pretty clear to me that who i was i was a sinner i was unworthy um i was taught that because of who i was because i was different because i was gay as i started to get into that word um, i was not allowed to love i couldn't be like the other kids that i was growing growing up with the challenge with that too was that nobody saw that on the outside I was terrified that people were going to see that. Um, And I thought that everybody saw that, but nobody really did. And so a lot of that fear and anxiety was all internalized. And slowly over the years, I learned to hate myself. And I started to believe that I was evil, I was sinful. Um, And I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior at Muskoka Baptist Conference. way, way back when. I think I was like six or five. And I remember that being the, a, a big highlight. I'd done something right. Uh, I was saved for eternity. and um, But I still believed that I was a sinner because I was having these thoughts. And back then, homosexuality was a choice according to the church. Um, and so me thinking that way was a sin. Not just me acting that way, and so even having those thoughts, and I remember over the years, crying myself to sleep, begging, God, like I will do anything, take these feelings away, and year after year after year after year, nothing would happen, and um, that was a lot more damaging than I actually thought uh, it was going to be. But over my life, I, I don't know, I was probably around know what age, maybe around 13 or 14 when I made the decision, I'm not going to let anybody see how broken I am. I'm not going to let anybody see how hurt I am because that's just going to give them an in. That's going to be a way that people can say, ah, we knew. And I designed my life around that. Um, I want to be the best at everything that I do, get the best marks, the best job, the best whatever i could to get that kind of gold star and that became a journey towards self-worth through external validation and it worked for a while Um, you're able to go kind of up up that uh up that hill but there was an entire underground life that was going on an entire underground world where I would escape to um, where my pain would come out, where I could be just me. Um, and I couldn't feel just me in my family, I couldn't feel like just like me in the church, I couldn't feel just like me with God, because that, that person was not welcome, that person was not accepted. And I call that my, the first lie that I bought in my life, that I wasn't welcome in church. But where I was welcome was in the gay community. And uh, I started very, very young. Um, and I've just started talking about this in the last year uh, and sharing with my parents that I started going to uh, the gay community and escaping there and became sexualized at 12, 13. And it was amazing. I was welcome with open arms. I could be fully me. Um, and I thought that was love. I was like, "Wow, I don't have to hide any part of who I am. I can just be me. This is amazing." And it wasn't until probably 42 that I realized that that was sexual assault, that was gang rape of a minor. Um, but being that age and being in that environment, I was like, "Wow, this is what welcoming is. This is what love is." And that was the second lie that I bought that. My worth is dependent on my body. And that's what I put forward. That's what people accept me for. But that was also hidden. So I started kind of this split life of performance and acting. And um, it didn't end up very well. And so a couple of years ago, I ended up um, being in a rehab center in Philadelphia. My parents came down. And I shared so much of the parts of my life that I've been hiding, the parts of my life that I've been running from. And we all sat around and with tears in our eyes said, how did we get here? How did we all end up here? This was never our intention. And my parents had no idea that all of my life had been going on kind of underground, behind the scenes to them. And that's where I made the decision to start talking about who I am, to start sharing who I am. And as I went into recovery, as I worked with my trauma therapist, I realized the light inside of me, God inside of me, Jesus, has always been shining, has always been there. Um, But I allowed external lies, man-made lies to say, oh, no, not for you. Those clouds are covering up that light, and I believed it. And so over the last year, I've been sharing through my podcast, This Little Light of Mine, kind of that journey. And I look at that as this is my recovery journey. This is me reclaiming my voice. This is me kind of coming back and realizing I am loved, and I always have um, and so it's been an interesting year sharing that and kind of being on this journey with my parents, with friends, with other people that have been reaching out um, and so I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be having these conversations um, and I never thought I would be, but
0: thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, thank you for uh, for sharing those vulnerabilities. Um, i I think me and and I'm sure a lot of the people. Uh, watching this just just want to take that 12-year-old boy and say like you're loved, it's okay. Um, you know, as you say, that desperation for community. Uh, we we will find community one way or another, and if we don't find it in a healthy place that loves and respects us, we'll find it elsewhere. Um, and and what a, a, uh, a desperately sad thing uh, that a 12-year-old boy needed to go to such um, desperate depths to find that acceptance. Um and thank you for yeah being so honest and and showing those pieces. I it's so fascinating to me as well that actually the the concerns and hurts there actually, you know, even kind of defining your value by your body. Like I'm sure there's a lot of people watching. <laughs> there's so many commonalities here with so many people's struggles, and yet uh what you're saying is enhanced all the more. Uh you say there's those. Yeah, those moments of hurt and I, I do thank you and i think it's really important that we be listening to these voices and and i'll affirm what james has said there that something that's really important to us is uh we believe that everyone is created in the image and likeness of god we believe that is something that can never ever change can never be taken away from someone regardless of what they do regardless of anything that has been done to them uh but i I think it's such a sad thing that uh, maybe that's not preached as often as it should. Maybe that's not shared as often as it should. Maybe that's not something that church leaders talk about as often as they should.
1: And, and I, I think it is taught a lot. Okay. But I don't think what we talk about are the asterisks that follow that. Sure. And you know when you're flipping through one of those magazines... And you see that ad for, like, the smoking cessation or whatever, the ad. And then you flip the next three pages, and it's all the legal lines of all the different things that can happen. That's how it felt for me when those things were were being taught in church. And we also were constantly taught about how we are all made uniquely. And the snowflake analogy of everybody is different and every snowflake is unique. And yet there's this belief that was downloaded to me or that was taught to me that, yeah, you're all different, but you all have to be the same. And I never really understood how that worked because I was very different. How, like, we're supposed to be unique, but the same. We're all supposed to behave the same way, believe the same thing, act in the same way, but we're uniquely created by God. And like that's not compatible. And as a child, I got the impression, you're not allowed to ask questions. Like these are just things like, believe. And these are the things that we're taught. And I think if, if anybody's walked by Young and Dundas and the man that just bounces out and says, believe, that kind of image came into my head.
0: Uh, I <laughs> want to apologize to anyone watching that's been traumatized by that guy. That is, uh, that's, that's not how I do things. Uh, <laughs> He's
1: very dedicated, though. Um,
0: Very dedicated.
1: (laughs) And that's how I was raised. Like, you just believe these things. And I was taught this has just always been the way, like all the way back to the beginning of time. And one of the things I've been really interested um, in seeing my own growth and the growth with my parents who are also on this journey I felt really dumb. And as I start to read a lot more and explore a lot more and look into the Bible a lot more, I realize, wow, like I just believed. I didn't question. I didn't look into how these things came to be. I just assumed, like, well, they've they've always been there. And literally my thinking was like, Well, the Bible just dropped out of heaven one day. And like it it always was. And there's no inconsistencies. It's like the Bible is this one book. Everything in it is valid and relevant for right now. No concept of like what the difference between the Old Testament or Old Covenant and the New Testament. Like we looked at it like it is one book, everything in there. And the more that I read and the more that I explore, I felt really dumb because I, I never asked those questions. And I think when, as I reflect on that, because I always thought I was a sinner, because I always was in hiding, in a terror of being found out, I never asked those questions. I never dug into those things because I was always living in a hypervigilant state. And I think a lot of marginalized people, as I reflect on this, because they don't feel safe, they don't look into those things. And over the last year, as I've come out a lot more and my self-esteem and self-worth has grown, I felt more comfortable, more safe to start exploring things like the Bible, asking those questions. And I guess I look at it, and when the Bible has been weaponized, you don't really usually cozy up to a scud missile and say, hey, I want to get
0: to know you. Let's let's dig in here. Let's get comfortable. Especially if that scud missile actually destroyed the house you grew up in. Right. (laughs)
1: And yet that's how I always viewed the Bible. And as a young kid, I remember opening the Bible in the pew in front of me, and it is clear as night and day. Homosexuality, not inherit the kingdom of God. And like, how, like, black and white red and white whatever it was i was condemned and there's no way around that and when you think of that eight-year-old child and especially now when like you can google bible homosexual done instantly and that destroyed me that condemned me And one of the things that my parents have talked about is like, why didn't you come and ask us? And I look at them and I'm like, are you kidding? Like, Why would I not come and ask you? And I don't know that people understand the terror in that and the stories that are in that. It was interesting. I just finished uh, releasing a couple of episodes where I interviewed my parents. And it's so neat to see the different perspectives between my parents' view of how I grew up and my view of how I grew up. And as I look back at my kind of church upbringing and the things that focus on the family would say and the different petitions that our church would sign against gay marriage and, oh my gosh, they're going to force our pastors to marry those homosexuals and we're going to lose our churches and they're going to be locked up and Everybody was clutching their pearls and signing the petitions because they
0: wanted. And I was sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you're talking about me. I think that in itself is, is such a powerful image as well. And thinking about how often we've been in spaces. And, uh, and James and I were talking beforehand that you know, there are different uh, ways that people lack privilege. And some of those lacks of privilege are very visual and some of them aren't. And for better or worse, people are probably less likely to be, people who are slightly racist are less likely to be slightly racist around people of a different race to them. Uh, some people will be more overtly so, that's problematic. Uh, but one of the things with the unseen uh, lack of privilege is that we never actually know the damage that we might be doing to the person in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really I really love what you had to say there. Um, even the idea that being able to ask questions itself is kind of a privileged thing too. Uh, I, I as a uh, ticking all the privileged boxes that I do, I don't need to worry about asking questions because you know what's the no one's really going to think that much less of me. Or maybe if they are, I don't care anyway. Um, whereas for someone that lacks that privilege, how much more difficult that can become. Uh, what's exciting for me uh, is that that causes you to dig deeper, and I. Which for me is, an, I'll call it a miracle, I'm okay calling it a miracle, because I don't think I have that strength. I think if something had wounded me as much as a weaponized Bible had wounded you, I'd probably walk away. Uh, but well, actually, can I
1: jump in there? Because I think sure. it allowed me to dig deeper after I had
0: no place to go. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, so I don't want to, um, as you say, you, uh, you hit rock bottom. That's, those are your words. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, and after,
0: this was probably
1: maybe just coming up on two years ago, where I wanted to end my life again, and had those similar thoughts and plans of, there's no way out. And like that song, Jesus Take the Wheel, it was literally that, not because it was a nice to do, it was like, there is no other option here. and. I think that's this. I don't know. I'm I'm mixed on this. I'm obviously don't want people to get to that point, but I'm also grateful that I got to that
0: point. And to be clear, I think that is awful. So I don't. Yeah. <laughs> people think like, "Hey, James, good news. At least you hit rock bottom." I I think that's a wonderful example of God being able to work and redeem in the midst of uh, mm-hmm. tragedy and horror but I don't think that means it's God's desire that we... No. I think God would much prefer that you got into the Bible without having to hit rock bottom, but fortunately, there's a... And again, what for me, though, you're saying that actually then the Bible becomes a lot, lot more alive. I mean, I, I celebrate that some of the Bible is poetry, and, and what is there to learn through that gaze of poetry? We celebrate, again, we celebrate the fact that Jesus taught in parables, which if we want to be blunt, he taught in things that didn't happen. Like that's, so how do we deal with that as he'd tell in stories? And so what does it look like to approach the Bible with a more robust uh, view? And and then I guess, I mean, the the million-dollar question elephant in the room is like, okay, so how do you deal with those, with those questions? And uh, this is not to catch you out because I think we come to the same conclusion, but I'd love to hear your perspective on, okay, so the Bible has these things to say I still think the Bible is relevant. I still think it reveals who God is. I still think that I am loved by God and created in God's image. How do you bring all those pieces together? Yeah, and that's a big question. Um,
1: And it's interesting because I think as my parents and I talked recently, um, we're learning to live and love within the shades of gray. And so much of what we were taught and my parents were taught, and my parents' parents were taught. Growing up in the church was, there is no shades of gray. It's black, and it's white. And when you take a look at the Bible, and when you take a look at the Old Covenant, that was how it was. And I'm not saying that that wasn't true. I'm not saying that that wasn't. Um, what needed to happen, but that's not what needs to happen for us now. And as I look at the Bible and look into the Bible, I see that it has been manipulated by man. It didn't literally just fall out of heaven. It, didn't, it isn't this magical book that, as I was a child, I, I literally believed it was this magical book. Every word I was told was God-breathed. Nothing was out of alignment. Nothing could get into that book that was not perfect. And as I now look at those verses in that word homosexuality, and you start to look back and you're like, hey, wait a second. That wasn't added to the Bible until 1946. And it was this American dude that put it in there. But since then, he's actually come out
0: as gay. I did not know that. Yeah.
1: He's come out as gay and said, I made a mistake. I knew I made a mistake, and I went back to have that corrected. But I was told it was too late. And it's interesting. There's actually a documentary being made right now called 1946, the documentary, um, all about that. And they found the guy. And they're talking with him. Um, and it's by the same producers that um, did a documentary years ago called For the Bible Tells Me So.
0: Um, I just uh, That is a fantastic documentary, which has been really uh, important for a lot of members of our church, and I would encourage people to watch it if they haven't already.
1: And it's fascinating to learn this stuff. And There's another brilliant woman named Kathy Baldock, and she writes a book um, bridging... Um, I forget the name of the book, Bridging the uh, Something Canyon. Um, It's an incredible, incredible book. And I'm sorry for butchering the name (laughs) of the book. Um, You remember the author. Yeah. And as I read that book, I realized, wow, like there is so much that we don't realize about the Bible. There's so much that we don't realize about our own political system, our own social system, our own medical system, our own, psychiatric system of things that have changed and i think i'm learning to question more i'm learning to doubt more but that's not pushing me away it's pulling me in and it's helping me to grow deeper and i remember a conversation that i had with my mom another great book that i read this year was uh, untamed by glennon doyle and she wrote about this crazy story About the religious right and how it came to be. And she mentioned something wacko in there about like life for fundamentalist Christians used to begin at first breath. I was like, no, it didn't. Like, it's always been at conception. There's no way. And as I dug into it, and my mom dug into it, we were both like, oh my gosh, she's right. Like, what do you mean? Like, these things can't change. These things were always, and as I started to look back and started to see like our church positions that we've held to, that we've been taught to believe, we haven't believed those things forever. And those have been things that have been adopted. Those have been things that have been translated. Those things have been changed and brought into the conversation. They're not biblical. They're not of God. They're not from Jesus. They're man-made interpretations that have been voted in, that have been pushed in, that have been warred in, that have been killed in. And I think as Christians, and I'll speak personally, I believed everything was for right now for me and had a very naive view of what the Bible was. And I can now see that I allowed something to condemn me that I knew nothing about. And because I was so terrified and was so frightened by this weapon, I never took the time to understand there is no boogeyman there.
0: And and yeah, the, the sadness of that, right? As you say, because it's so weaponized, you don't want to draw closer to it. And uh, <laughs> I feel I should point out that There's a danger, and people might say, well, that means you're not taking the Bible seriously. And my response is, no, this is taking the Bible really seriously. This is seeing how the Bible was translated 5,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago, 2,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, if we want to just speak explicitly about the Old Testament. And what are the issues that are going on at the time? What do we think that... The scriptures are speaking to those people in those moments how do we apply those now and for me that's that's taking scripture really
1: seriously actually right. and it was interesting my dad and i are reading this book called irresistible uh and again i don't know the author what i learned just this week is the old testament actually when translated properly is the obsolete covenant and i always looked at the bible again as one piece i never really looked at it that clearly it's like jesus came to fulfill the law so like that that covenant the old covenant is done and yet part of our evangelical upbringing has been mixing parts of the old with parts of the new. And when you start to look at what was paul doing he was saying don't mix those things and yet so much of what i've allowed to condemn me has been that mixing has been that well no you have to be here and you have to be here and you have to pull all these things together and again i find myself embarrassed that i never even knew that i never questioned that i always thought well guy up front went to Bible college and he knows all the answers. Of course he's going to tell us if that's the case. And so much of my upbringing has been, how do I abdicate my own thinking? How do I abdicate my own thoughts, my own feelings? Because of course those are evil if they're coming from me, but they are holy and just and right and loving if they're coming from usually the white man Standing a few levels up at the front, and I'm now seeing that's not how any of us were designed.
0: That's yes, that's really helpful. And well, for those of you that uh, go to Wellspring, you know, I'm very quick to say that I don't know anything, <laughs> so <laughs> that's uh, you know, one step we're, we're trying to make. Um, that's that's really helpful we've got we've got a couple of questions that have come in and I'm gonna lean into those now because we've been talking for this is so much fun I knew this is gonna happen I'm just gonna move forward couple of good questions that come in thank you yeah um let's so. One of the things that you said in your video that uh, Wellspring saw last, uh, last Sunday is you say that you consider your uh, sexuality a gift from God. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you be willing to like explain that a little bit more? Because, again, so much of our history has been about like this is something we try to pray away, and uh, but instead you see it as a gift. And I'd, I'd really be interested by what you have to say there.
1: And so I'll be a little bit
0: um, combative with my
1: answer. Um, or I'll ask a question. Do you see your sexuality as a gift?
0: I mean, I'm a bit weird, but probably not. I don't know. (laughs) I don't think my sexuality is anything really. I guess guess that's, uh, I suppose I haven't really been forced to. Um, Do you see your nose as a gift from God? i not a big fan of my nose. No? Is that, are you trying to, your hands. You're trying to point, my ha- your I, feet. My hands are a bit smaller than I'd like. I'm, a, I'm good with my hands. Your yeah, personhood. My, my, <laughs> yes, there we go. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I look at it
1: at the same way um, now. I've learned to look at it the same way. And I think so much of who we are as Christians and as evangelical Christians, we condemn homosexuality. Really what we're saying is, We're condemning the act of sexual intercourse between men. Um, And when we look at somebody, we we can't let them in. It's like, why? Why not? And that's where I am very conscious of putting that out there. Like my sexuality is a gift, just like my speech is a gift, just like my brain is a gift. Like we are all, and all that we were created are gifts from God. And I think sexuality, especially homosexuality, has been so poisoned by man and the interpretation around that that I wanna just be very conscious of like, well, it's no more right or wrong than a hand or a nose or a head or a person, and yet we've, we've turned it into something being very unnatural to use biblical words. And I like to push people now, too, and say, well, biblically, what did they mean by unnatural? Um, I think one of the other words that has been weaponized is sodomy. And what I was really interested to discover over the last year is that the biblical definition of sodomy is any form of non procreative sex by anyone and so if we were here in person in a congregation i would look around and say so all of y'all i would i
0: straight up know <laughs> but uh let's, let's but like assume. i would make the assumption <laughs> and i had the
1: very awkward conversation with my parents of like <laughs> if you are still having sex and i don't want the answer but biblically like that's sodomy because i'm, I'm i don't know also that also making
0: an assumption <laughs> also making
1: an assumption um i w- i would hope that my parents aren't trying to have children still but so much of that has been mistranslated and not only by church by society and the words have taken on different meanings um and so I just, I want to push those definitions. I want to get those things out there so that people really understand
0: where this stuff is coming from. Yeah, as you say, it's and it's interesting the way as words evolve, as I, I've shared here, that um, the Bible very clearly says in Ezekiel uh, 16, 49, what the sin of Sodom is. It says the sin of Sodom is that you didn't look after the poor and the widow. It's really clear. And so it's so interesting to me that we can completely ignore the Bible where it says, by the way, this was the sin of Sodom, and yet we can kind of create what the sin of Sodom is and how really how selective people have been with Scripture to create uh, the narrative that, that has got us here, I suppose.
1: And I think we don't want to admit the fallibility of man. I don't think we want to admit that Some of our leaders are um, great marketers, great fundraisers, great at building, we use the words building a kingdom. I wouldn't use those words. Um, I would say building a bank account. And when you look back at history and when you look at what's happening right now, um, of course, they're going to use that. It's very lucrative to use those words. It pulls people in. And I think right now, one of the challenges we see in our world all around us is it's an amazing strategy for building a church. It's an amazing strategy for getting funds in the door. Double down on hate, double down on fear, people will open their wallets instantly because they want that to go away. Because there is a belief and a human belief that like, oh, get that away. And if I pay money, that uncomfortable thought or feeling goes away at least temporarily. And the great part for so many leaders is that fear comes back. So you need to keep pushing it away. So you need to keep giving. You need, but we don't want to talk about that because that's, that's gross and we don't really talk about those things because that's a worldly thing. We're in a church. And, and I've always believed, and I see how this has harmed me in the corporate world. I see how this has harmed me in the political world where I believed that all the people up at the front, all the people that have the power are good and that they're perfect and that you don't question them. And that's not true. They're no better, no worse than you or me or anyone else. And for so many years of my life, I gaslit myself. I thought anything coming from within me, well, it must be sarcastic. It must be sinful. It must be wrong. You can't question those things. Who are you? And what I'm realizing is that was me denying God. That was me taking, in church terms, what we call spiritual gifts, which I just think are strengths, are values. Um, But we like to put kind of... Our own spin on things.
0: Well, we can say that God was involved in. Uh...
1: <laughs> and it's convenient when
0: pastors hand out spiritual gifts
1: to people. Um, <laughs> I think it's a very. Uh, I would love that in the corporate world. Very
0: <laughs> condemned here. This is the <laughs> You're supposed to condemn other people doing, not me. It's
1: <laughs> it's great with volunteers. Um,
0: you have the gift of doing the job I need you to do right now. Isn't that? Good? <laughs> You have the gift of
1: hospitality, and I need some water.
0: Uh, <laughs> Laura got us the water before this,
1: <laughs> and I, I think it's natural human tendency. And um, and I think my eyes are starting to open in a in a very neat way, um, and I'm starting to to find my voice. Um, and also one of the other interesting things that I've found over the last year is that it ain't just me. This is not a gay thing. It's not a queer thing. It's not an LGBTQ2S plus thing. It's a human thing. And the more women that I speak to, the more people with disabilities or different abilities, the more racialized people that I speak to, everyone's saying me too. Everyone's saying I feel the exact same way. And the details of my story are way different. But yeah, me too. And I think that's one of the challenges and one of the most amazing parts about where we find ourselves in society today is everyone now has the ability to say me too. Everybody has the access to a microphone, a cell phone, a podcast, um, you don't need anything, really, to start telling their story. And I am a firm believer that's what we were created to do. We were put on this earth to have a human experience and to use our voice, to use our talents, to use our strengths, no matter who we are. And that probably the first verse that all of us learned from going to church, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The world, that's all of us. It's not like for God to love the white men. He got all the gifts. He gets all the gifts and all the glory. And those white men that believe in him shall take over all. That's not at all. And that's where it's shocking to see what we believe and leaving the church and now kind of coming back. I'm reminded at how challenged some of our beliefs are. And I I, I guess I just forgot about this. I was having a conversation with my mom and I said, mom, so at, at your church, can women be on the board? And my mom answered in a very my mom kind of way. And she's like, well,
0: I don't want to be on them. I'm like, fair enough. That's not the question. Also, (laughs) hi to both of our moms. Yes, if my mom's watching. Excellent (laughs) choice in naming their children, if nothing else.
1: And, And I forgot that, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, we seem to have forgotten that part about, like, it sounds so weird for me to even say that, like, gender is a social justice issue with the church. And I don't understand how anyone with a daughter involved in the church can say, honey, you can be whoever you are. Like, let us we've just celebrated International Women's Day, but you can't be daddy. And you can't be daddy's job because you're a woman. And we still believe that. And I don't, I don't understand how that happens and I know that we've evolved And the last time I went to church with my dad, I kind of elbowed him. I'm like, Oh, it says pastor, female name here. What's going on. That's, and, he's like, and he looks and he's like, well, it's not a real pastor. It's like a family ministries. And like, they're, they're allowed certain roles, but it can't be lead pastor. And I think we found wiggle room to make people happy. Um, And that's not right. Not right at all. And so what we're talking about here and what I'm loving about the journey that you're doing on with Wellspring is that it's talking about inclusion. It's talking about everyone, the world. And it's not a gay issue.
0: It's a human issue. That's excellent. I'm going to find another question because that is a... Great line to end on. Actually, there was one. This, so this is maybe, um, yeah, speaking from where a few people uh, at the congregation are at. Um, this line say yeah, name top three things, <laughs> uh, three things you'd like to see in a community that welcomes everyone. Like, one of the kind of things that you're looking out for. That's a, not quite as deep as entrenched mm. as uh, some of them. That's a It's real practical, and all of a sudden, I, I freeze up around those things. I'm like, oh, I can get into, you know, the historiography of the Bible and why it doesn't say what you think it is. But when the rubber hits the road, you suddenly go, oh.
1: So top three things. It can um, also be four. Like four, uh, <laughs> okay. We're not
0: that legalistic here.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know. That's a, that's a great question. I, I would say is be who you say you are. Walk the talk. Don't hide your hate. Put it out in front if there is any. I remember having a conversation. My brother is a pastor, and um, lucky him and lucky me. Um, <laughs> I remember he was starting at a church, a Baptist church, and it had these disclaimers about this issue or topic that I find myself being as a human. And it's always fun kind of coming back into church environments and realizing that you're referred to as a topic that's hard for people. Um, And I remember my brother saying, yeah, I've talked with the church and we got to take that down off the homepage because that's not really nice to like greet people that way. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. Keep it up on the homepage because I would rather know if I'm being excluded off the bat and like to me like like let's think about cigarette packages here like put the bleeding gums and the warnings like right up front of the church so I know not to enter because this will kill me and I think one of the most damaging things I've found I lived in Australia and went to Hillsong and from a evangelical perspective like whoa like that's the pinnacle like being at Hillsong and going to their Hills um, campus was like the mecca. <laughs> the mecca of everything amazing and I went with my boyfriend and it was an amazing amazing experience we were welcomed we were in Australia everyone looked gay um and everything was amazing until you get to home church, and been going for a few months and kind of starting to get to know people, getting into home church, and then I was just talking normally, and my boyfriend is like, the record just scratched. I was like, "Excuse me." "Excuse me, Murray." <laughs> and the hurt of feeling like you might be included, the excitement of being welcomed or thinking that you're being welcomed. And then to be hit with that three or four months in, it's like you've had a wound that is healing and is scabbed over, and then I'm a picker. Um, and then you, you, you finally pick that off, and you're like, oh, gosh, now we have to go way back to square one. And so I don't know if there's three things, but I'm just like, be who you say you are. Put it out front. Um, and I guess the question that I would ask back is, what are you afraid of? To say that you are welcoming without an asterisk, what's the fear? Like, I know that there is a tendency, um, a growing tendency in evangelical circles to have leaders or have members start to sign whatever the proper name that is created, kind of statements of belief or leadership, whatever's. Where it's like, you need to sign that you believe
0: exactly all of these same things that we have created. You'll be unsurprised to know that I didn't sign that and we got into a lot of trouble for
1: it. (laughs) And I like, like, why? And when other people come through the door, do you make them sign things like... I have never looked and lusted at another human. I have never been divorced. I have never whatever the long list. And it's like, no, that's not on there. And the number of stories and the number of people that have reached out to me with devastating stories of children, queer children growing up in the church and going to Christian camps and becoming counselors and then having those camps send out those statements and the kids being truthful, saying, I can't sign this and not being able to go back to the one place where they actually felt accepted because the child was willing to be honest. And I think what we are teaching our congregations, our members, our participants, whatever you want to call them, is yeah, you're welcome here, but you need to lie to us. And I applaud you for standing up and for not signing things. But I would say that you're a weirdo. Like, most people are just a lot like... Of people have told me that too. <laughs> most people would just say, like, honestly, just sign it. Why are you just... Why are you you're just causing yourself more grief? Just sign it. Nobody's actually going to hold you to it. We just need you to sign it. Stop being a pain in the ass. And really what we're
0: teaching people is
1: don't, don't be honest. Don't be
0: truthful. There's, there's, a, the, there's a consistency of a desire for inauthenticity that we we hope you, as a member of the queer community, just don't be like too queer around us. Mm-hmm. Just, just hide it, and then we can be okay. And even though I, deep down, might actually be okay with it, I'm still gonna sign something saying I'm not. And so this is, and I think one of the things that the church is forever criticized for, and quite rightly so, a lot of the time, is you know, I, I'm exhausted in my week. Uh, And then at the end of it, I'm expected to go somewhere where I have to be somehow more perfect. Um, And I don't know how that came to be. I don't think that was the desire. I certainly don't think it's the church that Jesus shows us. Um, I I think being on our our authentic selves is the best thing that we can do and the best thing that we can offer as a church. And so hearing the uh, manifold ways that the church has failed to do that it's it's hard to hear. Mm -hmm. well, I think that's another thing.
1: What is the church that Jesus showed us? And I think that's another thing that we have mistranslated and misunderstood, um, and what we forget there wasn't you know, like there was a temple that was being dismantled. There was no Bible. There was a Jewish covenant. But the things that we hold as dogma for being a Christian didn't exist. And we look back and we, we have this magical thinking that that is all divine, but it's not. And we don't question that. Um, and I think we need to do a lot more questioning um, and a lot more doubting. And that's okay. And... It's interesting because I went to weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of Bible study, but I never studied the Bible. <laughs> and I think it's, and I don't want to be very accusatory here, but there systems of control. Like we give people enough to feel like, oh, I'm studying the Bible because I've, and I'm like, but you're not. You're studying what's being put in front of you. You're studying things that people are asking you to look at from a perspective that is of someone's agenda, Um, but you're not really studying the Bible. And I think that's where church leaders, um, I think there's an opportunity to push congregations, to push people back to a more... um, personal challenge of do your own homework, do your own investigation. And it's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's not bite size. It's not going to be something that you can kind of sum up in a three three-week sermon series kind of thing. And it is a journey, and it's a painful one. And what I love about learning about the Jewish tradition is that The Bible or the scriptures are a jumping off point for a debate, for a conversation. And I wish that we had more of that where I think in my tradition and in my view of the church historically is that the Bible has been the period at the end of the sentence, the ruling, the, again, the black and white. It hasn't been an open up for a debate. It's the like, boom, done. and. I don't know that that's the intention either. And I think for so many of us, thank you for opening this the way that you did on I haven't done it right, none of us have. And I think not that I can speak on behalf of the queer community, nobody does it right from any side. And I think for so long, I've literally given my finger back to the church and said, you know what, you've been a place of damage, you've been a place of pain, screw you, throw it all away. And that's not the answer either. And where I think I need to come from a better place, where marginalized, I would hope, people can find the strength and the vulnerability to come from a
0: more open
1: place as well, is to give people the grace and the forgiveness to mess things up. And I think in society right now, we are so terrified of screwing up. We're so terrified of the queer community that like, oh my gosh, like, does it start with an L or a G? And there's like, what's the two and the S and the plus? Like, I'm just not gonna say anything because I'm going to sound like an idiot. And I hope that we can all find grace, that we can all screw things up, that we can all feel uncomfortable. Because when we're screwing things up and when we're feeling uncomfortable, when we're in pain, that means that we're growing. And I think as humans, we've taken such a different view of that and we've we've told ourselves or we've been lied to that when we're uncomfortable, it means we're failing. And that's not the case. Uncomfortable means that we're growing. And we should search that out, not run from that.
0: That's a really important point for for me, uh, and I'm sure for lots of the people watching. Uh, as you say, where I mean, I, I say this all the time. So one of the reasons I hate camping is because why wouldn't I hate camping? I don't know. It's I like my bed, I like my shower, I like the internet, and camping has none of those things. Like I'm a creature of comfort. I actively seek out comfort, and I do all that I can to run from discomfort. Uh, but in this instance, ultimately, running from discomfort is is more damaging than we realize. And I think even what you said there, that, um, you know, uh, I, I'm so scared of saying the wrong thing. And I'm sure there are there are members of the community who have been so uh, hurt by the church that actually anything we say will be hurtful for them. And we get to pray that, that healing happens and we get to accept that maybe we are not the ones that can heal them. Uh, we also recognize there are members of the community who... Will be really graceful and recognise. Probably they have been really graceful with you a lot of the time. <laughs> um, I but I do remember when my uh, when my grandmother passed away, and my grandfather remembered. Uh, he remembered the silence and he and one of his friends who was walking down the street and and crossed the road before he thought he'd seen him. And he said, "You know, I don't like. I don't think he was being malicious. I don't think he was being cruel. I just think he didn't know what to say." But actually, anything would have been better than nothing. Um, And I think that's, we're at this point now where realistically, uh, the LGBTQ2 plus community, if the church doesn't say anything, they assume they're not wanted. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I have this conversation with my parents all the time. I think we have
1: to remember the eight-year-old or the 10-year-old kid. And as churches... We like to go back and say, "Well, yeah, you know, we've got that policy and yeah, it's a denominational thing, but our church, we don't really believe that. So like, whatever, like nobody looks at that. The 10 year old kid does look at that. The 10 year old kid, when he Googles, what does this denomination believe about? Like, those are the first things that come up. And so the things as adults, we understand, don't really mean what they say that they mean. And as adults, we can have these nuanced conversations. We've learned to live in the gray, I hope, as we go on. But kids don't have that privilege. And as a child, I believed that everyone in the congregation believed exactly what the man at the front said And I can remember, like, this is the other crazy thing about thinking back. Like, we would have people from Exodus International come into our church back then. Could you um, fill people in on who that is? So Exodus International, they were the biggest conversion therapy. Um, And so conversion therapy was the belief, the fake pseudoscience that has been disproven over and over and over with a success rate of
0: zero. Fairly damning percentages, I'd say.
1: Fairly damning percentages. But back when I was young, they would come into our church, and they were missionaries. They would tell their story about how they have been, their sexual orientation has changed, and Jesus saved them and the whole nine yards. And we would pray over them. We would do a special offering and give money to them. And I remember as a child, like, literally was thinking, like, everyone putting money into that offering plate is voting against me. Everyone. And like you said with your grandpa, like, that probably wasn't their intention. They are just doing what you're supposed to do and guilted into giving. And, like, if I don't give, people are going to think I'm whatever. Um, But as a child, I was like, oh, my God, everyone believes this. And I think we always have to remind ourselves, like, how would those children know that you don't hate them? How do those children know that your view is different? And I'm like, do we need to put like a coded, like the people with the purple Bible really love you? They don't believe. And we need to find ways to say we don't all believe the same thing. And we probably don't need to. And... I think that's the great thing about being human, about being unique, being about, like, designed that way by God, is that we don't all need to believe the same thing. We don't all need, but where I do draw the line is, we don't all need to believe the same thing, but your beliefs can't hate someone else for who they are. They can do things that you might not agree with, and that's fine, but to exclude an entire group of people because of who they are. And it hit me this year that that famous statement, love the sin or hate the sin. For me and for so many queer people in history, for so many women, for so many people of color, Sin to us with both a noun and a verb. And for people with privilege, sin is only a verb. And you can stop the things that you're doing. You can stop going to a prostitute. You can stop stealing. You can stop. I can't stop being gay. And finally, the church has kind of come around to, well, yeah, you, you can't. When I was growing up, I I could, apparently. But you can't stop being black. You can't stop being a woman. And I think that's where the real damage comes in. And so sin can't be a noun. And when you exclude people and when you call their nounness a sin, that's where I have a problem and i think a lot of the conversation right now is well the christians are being persecuted we can't say anything about lgbt people without being attacked
0: and oh my gosh you can say nice things
1: <laughs> yeah you can say you, <laughs> you can, can say, say stuff. <laughs> you can say nice things but this is where i do have a challenge and it's like well because what you're saying is hate what you're saying is homophobia what you're saying is misogynistic. What you're saying is racist. What you're not doing, you're not sharing God's love. And I think as Christians and as churchgoers, we hide behind that. And fear again is a great motivator. It's great to be on TV and to say we are being persecuted. And I think in the news right now in Canada, we were talking about it earlier, where the Christian church is under attack. The government won't allow us to open. And, well, yeah, if the Christians are being persecuted, so are the barbers. It's like, so is everyone right now.
0: So are the barbers, so are the Muslims. so Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, it, it's, you don't, you don't get to say, well, I guess anybody can get to say that, but it's, it, it's a marketing tactic. It's a way to show persecution to help people feel sorry for you, but that's not actually what's happening. And I think that's where, back to that earlier question, what can the church do? Be real. Let's talk about these things. Let's bring these things out into the light. Um, And I think that's what everyone's looking for. Let's just get real. Let's have a human experience with everyone. Let's bring some of those things that we've all been wondering. Why not? And I remember as a kid always getting in trouble, because I was that annoying kid that was like, well, why? Like, give me a reason, not just, like, because we said so, because we're your parents, because the flannel graph in Sunday school said, that's the way it happened. Um
0: well, flanograph is also another thing that when you're not raised in a super Christian world, there's like a whole thing. It's a whole <laughs> like the things that can happen on a flanograph
1: board. Like <laughs> um But that doesn't make it true. And we are allowed to ask those questions. Like we are allowed to not believe the same things and it doesn't mean that we are any less Christian than the other it doesn't mean like what did Jesus ask us to believe like that John three sixteen tells us it all like there's not a super long list of like you need to sign off on all of these things and believe all of these things like that that was created by us and again realizing how much of this stuff has been man-made How much of this stuff has been created over time, and like even like when we think back at how mind blowing we got around gay marriage, and like oh my, this like this is not God's definition. Like, what is God's definition of marriage? Like, and I won't let you stand away from it. (laughs) Yeah, I won't. I won't get into that. But like, people don't understand that like God and marriage didn't come about until the eleven hundreds. Like, before that, it was totally civil. And yet, it was the Catholic Church that brought that in. It became dogmatic. It became part of what we believed. And yet, we go off the deep end about these things, and we go off the deep end like, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. It can't happen this way. It's like, okay, well, then let's go biblical marriage. Talk to me about King Solomon. Talk to me about the different forms of marriage. And once you start practicing that, let's giddy up.
0: Just in case we're clear, I did not advocate uh, you marrying the widow of the person that you killed in combat. Uh, That's one form (laughs) of biblical marriage, which I actually stand against. Uh, Against killing altogether, actually.
1: (laughs) And that's where, like, I just, i again, I felt so dumb not knowing this and as a little kid my juvenile belief of like david and goliath like this helpless little boy and he is a bible hero and king david and my middle name is david and like thinking all of these things and then the more that i read i'm like
0: david was a dick (laughs) wow that's the instagram quote from this session (laughs) He slaughtered people David is, uh, has his uh, complexities. He has <laughs> his challenges.
1: and then you start, like, but King Solomon was
0: David's son. I didn't really know. that wasn't
1: okay. And he had 700 wives.:
0: 699 complexities, I think that's <laughs> and
1: it. And they all had different gods,
0: and then he had to build a temple
1: because they were like, and you're like, oh, And like all of these things you start to unpack. But again, back to the magical thinking and the magical belief is that like, let's just we'll put that over there. Everything is good. And again, I think we are all human. We are all unique. We all need different forms of certainty, uncertainty. Um, and if you choose to believe in the creation story, If you choose to say it's an allegory, and it's not. Who cares? It doesn't make me or you, and you not knowing what I believe, doesn't make, like, is that a reason to stop someone at the door? Do we stop people at the door and kind of ask? We don't, but we do for somebody's sexual act. And that's where I think we need to be a little bit more open and encouraging and inclusive, and treat people like humans. Treat people like
0: you would want to be treated. I'm looking at the time, and I know we could carry on talking for a long, (laughs) long time about this, but I want to be uh, conscious of your time, and I I think that's a really superb way to end. Yeah, we treat people as humans. We love our neighbor. Jesus. Makes it really quite simple, and yet we've worked very hard to make it more complicated. Um, I feel bad because just so people that know me, I'm like, we should talk for another eight hours, uh, but I want to be protective of your time, and I want to be conscious of the people watching at home. It's not as fun watching a screen as it is being here in person. Um, I, I do really want to thank you for this, and this has been really uh, helpful for for me. I hope it's been helpful for us. It's been. Wonderful to hear you share, um, and I, I think there's—I I truly think there's a real anointing on the work that you're doing. I think it's one of the most important things, especially—I mean, especially in a city in Toronto right now, in 2021. Uh, you have a message that both the queer and <laughs> the straight community need to hear. Um, I think that's crucially important. I also realize there's a bunch of questions we didn't get to. Uh, I guess that's a good problem to have. But uh, are people, can people contact you after that? I should have asked you this beforehand. Is that okay? Yeah, no, are you contactable? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, and so if you want to, you can take a look. My website is
1: thislittlelightofmine.ca. Um, and so all my episodes are there. I can be contacted through there. and would love to chat with, um, with anyone on this. I would just remind people, the journey that you're on um, is an amazing one. And it should be messy. It should be uncomfortable. And that's one of the things that I'm learning. Uh, it was interesting talking to my mom. She's learning that too. Like It's not supposed to fit into this nice tidy box with the ribbon on it that looks perfect. And so much of what we've been taught in our church experiences that 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 is what we are supposed to aim for. It's not. This is messy. It is uncomfortable. It is going to be up and down and all over the place and it's not this kind of straight kind of upward facing trend Um, there's going to be good days, there's going to be bad days because it's a human experience and go with it